Today's scripture reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 12 through 32. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to be together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full measure of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The word of of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I like this story from the book of Acts because it includes all of the apostles, not just Peter and John, not just Paul, and not just a few of the most faithful Christians like Stephen and Philip, but all of the apostles. Some of the apostles we know well, like Judas, whose name is synonymous with betrayal, like Simon Peter, John, and Thomas. Some interesting information about Thomas is that after he touched the Lord's hand and side, he isn't mentioned again by name. His gospel, though, was found in fragments in 1897 and 1903. Based on the style of writing and their wording, some of these fragments are thought to be the oldest versions of Jesus' words ever found. Other apostles are familiar when someone reminds us of them, like Philip, 
who asked Jesus to show the apostles the Father that they might know and believe. An interesting bit of information about Philip the Apostle is that he is not the same Philip who explained parts of the Bible to the Ethiopian or went to the, on a missionary excursion to Samaria, as is recorded in the book of Acts. Another familiar apostle is Andrew, a follower of John the Baptist, who listened to his teacher, followed Jesus, and brought his brother Simon Peter to the Messiah. And like James, John's brother, who went with Jesus, Peter, and John, and witnessed the transformation. James was the only one of the twelve whose death is recorded in the Bible. The remaining apostles we know very little about, like Bartholomew, possibly known as Nathaniel, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Matthias, who was Judas's replacement, and Thaddeus, who was also possibly Judas, son of Simon, and possibly known as Thaddeus Labaeus. Scholars think that maybe Thaddeus's many names might be the reason we don't know much about him. All of the apostles, whether renowned or unsung, met in Solomon's colonnade and brought more and more people to Christ. One of the books I looked in remarked on the incredible power displayed by the apostles in this story. Their power drew people not just from Jerusalem, but from the surrounding towns. These people laid their sick and tormented along the streets that the ill might be healed by the mere touch of an apostle's shadow. It's no wonder the high priest and the Sadducees were threatened by the apostles' power. Now when I think of biblical power, I usually think of Charlton Heston or Ray Vanderland as Moses waving his staff and parting the Red Sea. I think of the fiery destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the Great Flood. I don't think of shadows as having power. But the apostles had a different kind of power. Their powers to teach and to heal came from God's love and from their knowledge of the depth of that love. God loves us so much that he sent his son to live and suffer in human form that we might become closer to him. Jesus loves us so much that he died a horrible death on the cross to wash away our sins and then conquered death so that we could truly know God's power. All of the apostles are shown in this scripture to have this power of love. God so wanted them to share the message of this love that he confounded the attempts of the high priest and the Sadducees to silence them. So why are some of the apostles so well known and others left in obscurity? All of them had been with Jesus from the beginning. All had seen the risen Lord. All had received the Holy Spirit in a rushing wind and tongues of flame. Maybe it's because the church is a body. Some parts are more obvious and interesting than other parts. But as Paul and Pastor Jeb have reminded us, each is necessary. So, Andrew stayed home and looked after the family, and probably after the home church, while his brother Peter and the Apostle John went out to spread the message. Maybe other apostles remembered the important locations from Christ's life and death, and passed that knowledge down through the generations, so that hundreds of years later, when Helen arrived to build churches and visit the holy sites, there were Christians there to tell her where those places were. We will never know. What we can learn from all of the apostles 
is that every role is important, no matter how unglamorous or small. In 300 years, few will remember many of the great Christians of our time. That doesn't make what they do less important or meaningful, nor does it diminish what we do. There are many wonderful Christians in our congregation. Many of you already use the gifts God has given you every day to show our neighbors, our friends, and even those we don't know what it means to believe in the love of God. Jeb told us about how as a kid his family and his church took in the wife and family of a man who was arrested and held in jail. They came together and changed this woman's life. My friend offered to buy dinner for a man who was asking for money on a corner. He told her he didn't need to eat. He needed a bus ticket. She met him at the bus depot and bought him a ticket home. One couple in our church has annually sponsored Christmas for an entire needy family recommended by one of the city's care organizations. I believe last year it was Houchin. The dad adores kids and loves playing Santa. I'm inspired by these acts of kindness and by these examples of Christian love. We carry in us the same knowledge of the power of Christ's love that the apostles carried with them through the streets of Jerusalem. Even though it's unlikely anyone will ever lay a sick person down in our path so that we can heal him with our shadow, we have done much to help our neighbors, and hopefully we'll find new ways to do more and different acts of loving kindness. As most of you know, I'm a teacher. The habits of being a teacher don't go away when I leave school. I tell little boys who are wrestling in the aisle at Albertsons to stop that at once, and I call the waiter sweetie on Friday. I routinely offer directions to people who look lost, and I answered questions that weren't addressed to me. I don't realize I'm doing it, but that's the kind of Christian I want to be. To have Christ as such an integral part of my life that I don't realize when I'm doing his will. As I have worked at being a good teacher, so I work at being a good Christian. I try to step out of my comfort zone when I can. I take Christian risks, and I don't always feel successful, and I almost never see the results of my efforts. For example, this summer I was flying to Dallas. I had secured a window seat. A guy with a book and headphones had gotten the aisle seat, and a little lady squeezed herself in the middle. We were still boarding, so I called my mom to tell her I was on my way. The little lady next to me thought that was a good idea, so she called her nephew, who'd driven her to the airport to check in with him. Her conversation began, Malcolm, Malcolm, calm down, what's wrong? And was punctuated with things like, Yes, yes, I can hear the alarm. And I can't help you if you don't calm down, Malcolm. It turns out Malcolm was locked out of the little lady's car by the security system, and he was terrified. He was an African-American teenager next to a big Cadillac with the alarm going off. The stewardess began hovering near us, and the little lady was still yelling, Malcolm, Malcolm, listen! Just as the stewardess was about to insist, my little friend was able to get off the phone, and we began taxiing to the runway. Her problem was unresolved, and a nice lady in front of us and I both offered our sympathies. When she began second-guessing what she could have done differently, which is a worthless, worthless exercise since she was about to be way up in the air on her way to Philadelphia, I asked if she wanted to say a prayer. And she said, oh yes, 
and the lady in front of us thought that was a good idea. We all took hands, and it was at that moment that I realized I had volunteered to say the prayer. It was not an expert prayer, but we prayed for Malcolm and for a safe trip, and we prayed in Jesus' name. I felt better. I think my little friend did too. I got off the plane in Dallas, she went on to Philadelphia, and I will never know what happened to Malcolm. And I still pray for him though. Now that was not the most dramatic or skillful example of how we can share Christian love. It was not powerful or life-changing or even remotely comparable to the wonderful things this congregation does every day. But it was from my heart. When I chastise myself and think I could have done better in any effort I make for God, I think of James, son of Alphaeus. He has only one little paragraph in my mom's copy of Who's Who in the Bible. He was one of the twelve. He walked with Jesus. He sat at the teacher's feet. I'll never know what he did, but I bet he tried to practice what Jesus taught, to love God first and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I'll bet he did the best he could. Amen.